Amen, amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. Good to be with you today. Hope you all are doing well. We are officially in the month of December, which means it's all sorts of holiday craziness, right? Um, but I'm glad you guys are here. Thankful you all are here with us today. Um, just real quick, a couple of reminders um, and one announcement that we have going on. Uh, we've been announcing this for a few weeks, but we are having a members meeting right after service today. So we're going to uh, use that meeting to walk through our proposed 2024 budget and answer any questions you may have. We sent out the proposed budget in an email uh, a couple days ago, so hopefully you had a chance to look at that. If not, we'll have hard copies available um, as well uh, during the meeting. So that will happen again right after service. If you have kids in our kids' ministry, go get your kids and then come meet us in the cafeteria. Uh, we will tear down after the meeting is over. So uh, just keep that in mind. Make sure you guys can uh, stick around for that. And then also, I uh, want to let you all know that uh, Christmas Eve uh, this year falls on a Sunday. Uh, so Christmas Eve Sunday on December 24th, we're going to uh, gather at our normal time, 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, only for, for this service. It is going to be a special Christmas Eve service where we focus on and celebrate uh, the first coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I hope you guys can join us for that very special service. Again, that, that's the December 24th, Christmas Eve. 10 a.m. in the morning, uh, we do still have to set up. So I need your help that morning. Uh, but we just have to do this room. We just have to set up this room. We don't have to set up kids' ministry stuff. Just this room that morning. Um, we get to leave it up. We get to leave it up for the next couple of weeks because school is out. So if y'all could be here, help set up, and then also be here to uh, worship with us that Sunday. It's, an, it's a, also a great time to invite anybody in your life that isn't connected to a church, doesn't know Jesus, Great opportunity. More people are willing and open to coming to a Christmas Eve service uh, than almost any other time throughout the year. So it's a great opportunity to invite those in your life. Um, so let me pray for us, and then we will, we will jump in and continue our series walking verse by verse through Philippians. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you uh, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the gift that is the church, Lord, that you provide us this opportunity to gather together with your people to worship you and to encourage one another, Lord. So I pray over our time today, Lord, would you bless it, Lord, would you be glorified through it, and would you teach us, would you, would you speak through me, Lord? We don't want to hear my thoughts, my ideas, Lord. We come to hear from you and from your word, Lord. So would you teach us, would you open up our hearts and our ears for what you would have for us today, and in your name we pray. Amen. So again, uh, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to continue walking verse by verse through this wonderful New Testament book. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. You can follow along on the screen right there. If you uh, don't own a Bible, we have Bibles at our table out there. We'd love for you to take that as our gift to you. Um, but for the last few weeks, for those of you that have been walking with us, you know that we've been going really slow through this one section in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Um, it's such an important and beautiful passage, and, and we spent a ton of time talking about verses 6 through 11, walking verse by verse each week through that section, talking all about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Then we, last week, if you remember, if you were here with us, we circled back to verse 5 and talked about, okay, what Paul says at the beginning of that is he commands us to have the same attitude or the same mind as Christ. Then he goes on to explain what that looks like by telling us all about 
who Jesus is. So we walked through verse 5 last week. This week, we're going to start back in verse 6. So I'm just kidding. Uh, We're actually going to jump down to verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, again, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to hang out in verses 12 through 13 today. And like I said last week, one of the things that Paul is doing in this section is not only is he calling us to a certain lifestyle, right? Remember, this section is is really uh, chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2, verse 18. And in this, not only is he calling us to a certain way to live, right? In verse 127, he says, we are to live a life worthy of the gospel, right? Worthy of the calling, the, the salvation that Jesus has given us. He calls us to live a life of unity and one of humility, not, not looking to serve our own selfish ambitions, but looking to serve one another. He calls us to the mind of Christ. So he's, he's calling us to these big things, these big ideas, but he's also, in, in starting in this section, really specifically getting into, okay, what does that actually look like? How do you actually live this kind of life? So that's what we kind of started out last week. Part of that how is having the same attitude as Jesus, and, and now we're going to dig even more into, okay, how do we live for Jesus? What does it look like to actually follow Jesus? Like practically, what does that mean? Paul's getting into that in these verses. So let me read verses 12 through 13, and, uh, and we'll go from there. So starting verse 12, it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Okay, so according to this passage, how do we live for Jesus? What is this telling us? What is it encouraging us to do? What is it calling our lives to look like? Let me give you two things today on how we are to live for Jesus. So two things. If you're writing down point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. One of the ways that we live for Jesus, how do we live for him? How do we become more like him? It is through continuous grace-driven obedience. Continuous grace-driven obedience. Let's go back to to verse 12 and and walk through this uh, bit by bit here. So verse 12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation. I'm going to stop there and talk about what this means. So let's keep that on the screen, Chris. So this this passage starts out with a therefore, and y'all are going to get sick of, of me telling you this. You probably already are, but I'm going to do this every single time we see a therefore in scripture. I'm going to point it out and make a big deal about it because it's important. That word matters. And as we're reading and studying scripture, those words should stand out to us, and it should be this red flashing light. Hey, pay attention pay attention, zoom in, focus, what's going on. So the therefore, the reason Paul has that is he is making a conclusion. He's telling us something based on what he's already told us. So the therefore always reminds us, okay, go back. Look at the preceding verses. Look back at the previous context. Look back to see what was already said so that we can properly understand the conclusions that Paul is making. So this, therefore, points us back to verses 5 through 11. It points us back to this entire section starting in verse 127, right? So he's saying, hey, live a life worthy of the, of the gospel. Uh, be unified. Be humble. Have the mind of Christ. Look, here's everything about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And based on those things, based on that truth, here's what I want you to do. Okay, so that's why the therefore is, is there, right? So that, that's a big deal. So he starts out, therefore, hey, just so you guys know, I'm, I'm making conclusions based on what I just said. And then he says, an interesting phrase, he says, my dear friends. 
And we might just kind of, you know, move past that, like, okay, yeah, sure, my dear friends. But this, this should remind us of a couple of things. One, it tells us, and it points us out again, how close Paul is with the Philippians, right? They have a, a deep personal friendship with one another. They're, they're tight. They're close. They know and love and care for each other. Like, this is a, a deep friendship that he has here with the Philippians. And it also reminds us that he's writing to believers, He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have put their faith in Jesus. And that's important. I'll point out why in a little bit. But, but that's why his calling here to work out your own salvation, like that matters that he's saying that specific phrase to believers, to people who have already put their faith in Jesus. So keep that in mind. And then he comments on their obedience. Not only does he says, hey, not only in my presence, but in my absence, you guys are always obedient. Obedient, and that, that should bring a question, okay, well, what, what are they obedient to? Are they obedient to Paul? Like, what's, what's going on? But if you remember, again, this is why we, we look back to the preceding verses. The, the word obedient is in verse 8, and it tells us this about Jesus. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And if you remember, when we walked through that, we talked about, okay, what is, what is Jesus obedient to? He's obedient to the will of the Father. As Jesus lives his earthly life here, when he puts on that humanity, when he comes and incarnates and lives on this earth, he's not just doing whatever he wants to do. He didn't come to earth to just live out his own selfish desires and ambitions. No, he humbled himself to the will of the Father. So Paul's already commented on Jesus' obedience, and now he's commenting on the Philippians and our obedience. So who are we obedient to? We're obedient to the Father's will. We're, we're to be obedient to Jesus' will. And as he says in verses 10 and 11, that Jesus is Lord, right? When we talked about that, we said that we as believers, when we claim that Jesus is Lord, when we confess him as Lord, we live under his authority. We give our lives to him. No longer are we living for ourselves. We are living for Jesus. So when Paul comments on their obedience, that's what he's talking about. He's calling the Philippians to continue in their obedience. Keep on living for Jesus. Keep on obeying him. And he's calling us to the same thing. So how do we live in obedience? What's the conclusion that Paul is drawing here, right? Like he doesn't just say, hey, keep on doing that. But he tells us how. And how is the rest of verse 12 here. So not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, here's what I want you to do. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. What does that mean, right? Like, what is he talking about there? Workout, like, is that like a fitness thing? Is this like a workout regimen, like a gym plan? Is that what Jesus is giving us? Like, is he calling us to, like, nutrition and health and all that good stuff? I hope not, because I'm struggling in that area. So is that it? Or, like, salvation? Like, what is he talking about? Like, do we work out, like, our own saving of faith and forgiveness of sins? Like, Travis, I thought you tell us all the time, like, that's, we can't save ourselves. Like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? Okay, let's define terms first and then talk about what that means. All right, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. So that phrase, work out your own salvation. Is, is really important. This is a big deal. So the phrase, the word for workout is a word that means to bring something about, to produce something, to, to cause something to happen. So that's what Paul is saying here. Not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, produce something, bring something about, make something happen, make it happen. And this is, a, this is a command here by Paul. This is not a suggestion. This is not a thought. It's not a, hey, if you have time. No, this is a command. He is commanding us as believers, as people who live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, work out your own salvation. Produce something. Make something happen. 
And his command here is written, I'll nerd out for a second, so bear with me. It's written in what's called the present tense for the Greek. That means something that's ongoing. It's not something that you just do once and that's done. It's something that happens every single day, every moment of every day. It is an ongoing command. So he is telling us to continually and, and always produce something, bring something about. And that something is our own salvation. So what does that mean? So we know what work out now means. Now what does our own salvation mean? What is he talking about? Is he talking about our salvation from, you know, from sin, from death, from the, the consequences of our sin, from God's wrath? Is he talking about our, like, when we talk about saving faith in, in Scripture, like being saved? Is that what he's talking about? Well, no, that, that can't be what he's talking about because we know, not just from Philippians, but from all of the New Testament, that we know that salvation does not come through our efforts. We don't produce our salvation in that sense. It does not come from us, right? Just as a reminder, Philippians 2, 8 through 9, Paul writes this, for you are saved, you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. So we are saved by faith. It is God's doing. It is God's effort. He is the one who is saving us. God does the saving not us, right? It is not by our works. It is by God's work. When we are saved, it is us responding in faith to the work that God is doing within us. That's salvation. So that's not what Paul's talking about. And remember, he's writing to Christians, right? Like that's why that dear friends matters. He's writing to believers. He's writing to people who have already put their faith in Jesus. So that can't be it, right? He's not saying to produce your own salvation in that sense. So again, what does he mean? Well, salvation, according to Paul and really all of the New Testament, goes beyond just that initial saving faith where we're saved from our sins and we're given the promise of eternal life and that kind of stuff. It is it's more holistic than that. So when the Bible talks about our salvation, there's kind of three parts to it or three phases to it. The first one is justification. And that's what happens the moment we put our faith in Jesus. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, we respond to him in faith, we are saved, meaning that we are justified. We are saved from the penalty of our sins. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer held guilty. We are no longer, you know, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin anymore. When we are justified, it means that we are made right in God's presence. We are given Jesus' perfection and holiness, right? No longer do we stand in a position of condemnation. We stand in a position of salvation, of justification. So that's the first part of our salvation. The second part is what we call sanctification. This is the lifelong process of, of becoming more and more like Jesus, right? Like every day where we struggle, we wrestle with our sin, and we, we try to live for Jesus. We seek to honor him with all that we say and do and all that kind of stuff. Like that's sanctification. That's this lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And the Bible often speaks of sanctification in the terms of being saved. It's this ongoing salvation work in our lives. And then the third part is what the Bible calls glorification, and this is the ultimate salvation, right? This is when God's work is fully complete, when we get to live in eternity with Jesus in complete perfection, right? Free from sin, free from struggle, free from any, uh, you know, pain and brokenness and evil that sin brings about. Like, we're free from that. In this life, we still struggle with it, but there is coming a day where God will remove all of that, right? And we will live with Jesus in complete perfection. That is the ultimate salvation, 
that the Bible talks about. So a lot of times when you see the word salvation in Scripture, and especially with Paul, it's that more holistic idea of salvation where we're taking in all three of these parts, right? There might be an emphasis on one of those three or two of those three, but it's really we need to keep this holistic idea of salvation in our minds when we see that in Scripture, right? It's, it's this idea of justification, sanctification, and glorification, all kind of wrapped up in one word. And that's what Paul is hinting at here. He's hinting at this. Our salvation here is the full expression of God's saving work in our lives. That's what he's talking about. That's what he means. So let's go back to that command. We're commanded to work out our salvation. So now we can make some conclusions on what that means. To work out our salvation means that we are to live a life of continuous grace-driven obedience. Continuous grace-driven obedience. I remember our obedience is to Jesus and his word, right? We are to obey God's will. And how do we know God's will? Well, it's right here in scripture. This is why our Bibles matter so much and why we spend so much time talking about it. This is how we know what God wants from us. This is how we know the life that Jesus wants us to live. So we are obedient to Jesus and his word. So we're to live a life of continual grace-driven obedience to that. Another way to to say this phrase, uh, working out our own salvation, is that we are to work out what God has worked in. We're to work out, to live outwardly what God has worked into our lives. That salvation that he has worked in us, we are to outwardly demonstrate that with our lives. That's what Paul is calling us to, to demonstrate our faith with our lives. If we claim to follow Jesus, Paul's saying, look, if you are living a life worthy of the gospel, if you claim to follow Christ, your life should look like his. Your life should match what you say you believe. That's what he's calling us to here. Look, the Bible talks about this over and over and over, and let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 now. We're going to add a verse from earlier. Verse 8 says, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So we're not saved by our works. Our salvation doesn't come as a result of our good works, but because we are saved, we are to live a life of the good works that God has called us to. We're to live the life that he's called us to. We're to live a life of obedience to him. So we're not saved by, oh, sorry, that was, that was loud. We're not saved by good works. We are saved by God's work, and we are called to those good works. I hope that makes sense. Okay, so that's what it means to live a life of continual grace-driven obedience. So, so how do we do that? How do we do that? Let me give you some practical thoughts on this before we move on. So how do we live a life of continuous grace-driven obedience? One of those is, is what we talked about last week is, is we need to remember. We need to do a better job of remembering. We need to remember the gospel. We need to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us and let that motivate us towards obedience. Let that motivate us to live the life that he's called us to. Look, we, we don't obey Jesus because we're trying to earn some, like, you know, better status as a Christian, right? This is not school. Like, it's not, hey, you better do your Christian homework or God's going to give you a bad grade, right? Like, that's not, that's not what the Christian life is. We don't obey to earn something more or different from God. We don't obey so that we, we don't get in trouble. And you're like, well, what are you talking about, Travis? It says just there in verse 12, you skipped it earlier, so I don't know what you're doing there, but you skipped it. It says that we are to uh, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. 
Well, let's talk about that. What does that mean? Well, in the Bible, fear and trembling does not mean what we usually think. We think we hear fear and trembling, and you think, oh, I'm scared. I'm scared, and I'm, I'm terrified about something, so I'm in fear, and I'm trembling at the thought of something bad happening. But fear and trembling is what the Bible uses when it talks about how we're to feel in the presence of God. And a better translation of fear and trembling is more reverence and awe. And again, this is why Paul gives us verses 6 through 11. We're to look at who Jesus is and what he's done for us and the salvation that he freely gives that we could never earn or have on our own, that we deserve hell and wrath forever. And instead, God gives us forgiveness and perfect eternity with him. We're to look at that and go, whoa, wow, Jesus, you're amazing. When we look, when we dwell on, when we think about who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it should fill us with reverence and awe. And it should make us go, wow, Jesus, you love me more than I could ever put words to. And that should lead us to willingly and gladly give our lives to him. Obedience is not about following a list of rules. It's not about following a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about giving our lives in joy to Jesus. This is what Jesus says in Mark 8. Mark 8, verses 34 to 38 says, Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus calls us to a life of, of, of sacrifice, right? Of giving our lives to him. And we talk about this a lot, that that doesn't mean that we lose anything. We don't lose anything by giving our lives to Jesus. In fact, we gain everything. We gain true life, true joy, true satisfaction, true salvation, true forgiveness, true freedom. Like all of that stuff comes with Jesus by trading our life of sin and destruction and brokenness for his life. When you think about it like that, man, we're not giving up anything. We're making a great trade, right? Like, this is way better for us. And that's how we need to look at obedience. That's how we need to look at Jesus when we think about who he is, what he's done. And we should look at that and go, wow, and willingly give our lives to him, willingly walk in obedience to him. And this is what we mean by, by grace-driven. To live the life that Jesus wants for us, we have to be motivated by his grace, Fear is a bad motivator, right? That only lasts for so long. Trying to earn something, especially earn something that you could never reach on your own, like that's a bad motivator. That's, you're eventually going to get tired and worn out and frustrated and angry and give up. Those are terrible motivators. If we're going to live the life of continual obedience to Jesus, it has to be driven and motivated by his grace and by his love for us. We have to look at the life that he's calling us to live and go, yeah, that way's better. Your ways are better and greater than anything I could come up with on my own. 
It's the same thing I, I do with my kids, right? I got three kids, and we're constantly talking about, hey, we need to live a certain way. We need to do things a certain way. Like, we have rules, and we have consequences when you don't follow those rules. And I'm constantly talking to my kids when they, when they have those consequences come, and they make bad decisions, and they get in trouble or whatever it is. I tell them, like, hey, I'm not asking you to do something just because I, I want to make you do something. Like, no, that's, that's not what parenting is, right? Like, I don't enjoy having these conversations with my kids where I'm like, hey, you're in trouble and here's why. Like, that's, that's not fun. Like, no parent's like, ooh, sign me up for those conversations, right? Like, nobody likes that. That's not the fun part of parenting. But I tell my kids, look, I, we have these rules. We, we ask you to live a certain way, like, you know, being nice to people and kind and respectful and, and not selfish and not rude or angry and, like, not hitting your sister or your brother. Like, we, we ask you to do those things, not just because I want them to be a functioning member of society one day, but because I want them to be a follower of Jesus. And I tell them, like, look, I don't, I don't want you to follow our rules because you have to or because you're going to get in trouble. Like the hope and the prayer is that one day you will willingly and gladly choose that life because it's what's best for you, right? Parents give rules and boundaries to provide a better way for our kids if they were just left to themselves. Look, my kids were just left to themselves and could make any decision they want to. They would make terrible decisions because they're eight, seven, and almost three, right? Like they can't make those kind of decisions on their own and it'd be wise, right? Like they're not capable of that. So we give them a better path forward. And the hope is that they willingly and gladly choose that. It's the same with us with Jesus. He provides us the better way. And part of living a life of obedience is seeing that that actually is the better way and willingly and gladly choosing that. Number two, another way that we walk in, in continuous grace, urban obedience is we have to daily put our sin to death. We have to daily put our sin to death. We talked about this last week, but let me read Colossians 3 verses 5 through 9 here. It says, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices. We are to put our sin to death. We're put it to death. We are to kill off our sin. Every day I have to wake up and decide I'm going to put my sin to death. And look, here's what that means. Our, our sin is not a pet and it's not a toy to keep around with us and to play with and to think that it's, it's something that we can control. No, it is something that will destroy us, that is harmful to us, that is seeking our end. That's our sin. And we need to put that to death every single day. We have to see our sin for what it is. It's not something that's nice. It's not something that's beneficial. It's not something that we can keep under control. It's not something that's just, you know, it's not affecting anybody else, so we don't need to worry about it. No, we need to put that to death. And part of that means we need to be more aware of our sin, right? We need to be more aware of where we struggle. We need to be asking ourselves, man, where am I struggling? Where am I, where am I missing the mark here? Where am I straying away from Jesus and his ways? And we need to invite others to speak into that, your spouse, your friends. We say, hey, y'all, let me know because, look, we all have blind spots. And that's not fun. Like, nobody enjoys being called out. Like, when I invite my wife, like, hey, help me see this. And she's like, hey, you're doing that thing that you told me you don't want to do. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not. Right? Like, we respond defensively. And I'm going to apologize about that. And I'm like, okay, add that to the list of things that I struggle with. Right? But that's, a, that's ultimately a good thing for us. Being more aware of our sin is a good thing. And it's not so we can keep it around. 
and so they can put it to death. Put it to death. We need to pray. We need to seek the Lord's wisdom and guidance on where we're off and, and again, choose that better way. And look, a part of that, too, is, is renouncing your sin. Like, this might seem silly and foolish, but sometimes we just need to say either in our mind or out loud verbally, like, sin, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. Anger, done with you. Pride, done with you. Selfishness, done with you. Lust, done with you. Get it out of here. We need to remind Satan verbally sometimes, like, hey, man, you lost. You lost, and you have no power over me anymore. We need to renounce our sin and put it to death. So we daily put our sin to death, and then we daily put on the new self. Let's continue in Colossians here. Chapter 3, verse 10, it says, uh, verse 9, let me read that again, verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So not only are we to put to death our sin, we are to then put on the new self, the new life that God has called us to, this life of continual obedience. Right? So we say no to our sin, and it doesn't just stop there. We don't just say no to our sin. We say yes to Jesus. Right? We, 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 don't, we don't go down the path of sin anymore. No, we're, we're done with that, and we say yes to Jesus. Right? That's what it means to put on the new self. Every moment of every day, this has to be a conscious, willing decision. We say, nope, not doing that anymore, not going that way. I go this way. I go to Jesus. And look, part of that means that we had to spend some, some consistent time in the Word and prayer. And look, I get it. We're, we're all busy. And you might be like, Travis, man, I don't have time to sit there for two hours like you do and just read the Bible. Like, I ain't got that time either. So if you got whatever time you have, put towards it, man. If it, I always say, like, the verse, verse a day doesn't keep the devil away. But look, if all you got is time for one verse a day, like, just start there, right? Just, just something. Something. Spend some time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. How else are we going to know what we're to be obedient to, right? right? It's, it's, it's here. This is why this matters. This is why the Bible is so important for us and why we need to spend time digging into it, studying it, meditating on it, praying through it. That matters. All right, and the last way that we, we live this life of continuous grace-driven obedience is we are to do this with our church community. We're to do this with our church community community. One of the important things about this passage is that it reminds us that we are not to go about this Christian life on our own. And sometimes, again, I struggle with some of the translations in our, our English Bibles because what's not being pulled out here is the communal aspect of our discipleship that, that Paul is getting at here. Remember, he is talking to a church 
a group of committed believers that have committed themselves to one another in a local church context. So when he has these pronouns of you or your, it's plural. So let me retranslate this with some of our our southern slang here. So when he says in verse 12, uh, work out your own salvation, that your is plural. So if he was living in the south, Jesus or Paul would have said, work out y'all's salvation, right? You all's, you people's salvation, y'all's salvation. Work it out and work it out together. You do this together. Verse 13, which we're going to look at in a second. For it is God who is working in you. Again, that's plural. Working in y'all. You all together. You people together. He's working in you. He's doing something not just in you individually. He's doing something within you as a church. And look, this is the beauty of the church. Is It reminds us that we need each other. We can't do this on our own, and we're not meant to do it on our own. Look, the reality is, the reality is when we read the Bible, unless we're just going to cast off some verses and ignore some things, when we read the Bible, what we have to come to the conclusion to is that part of our discipleship, part of being a follower of Jesus, of living for him, of living the life that he's called us to, that is to happen within the local church. That if we are disconnected we're not a part of a local church. We are missing out on some of our discipleship. We are missing out on an aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. So look, I, let me just take a moment here, and I'll read a verse to make you guys know that I'm not just making this stuff up. But look, I get it. There's, there's some wacky churches out there, okay? Like there's some, some crazy folks out there that claim the name of Jesus, and they are walking not with Jesus, okay? Like, there's some crazy stuff out there. There's also some hurtful things that happens in the church, right? There, the people that claim the name of Jesus in church, like, we're just as much of sinners sometimes as the rest of the world, and, and sometimes that's a shame, right? Like, sometimes it's just we're struggling just like everybody else, and we need to bear with and forgive. I mean, there's some real hurt that happens within the church. But there's also, especially like it has grown in recent years, there's this prevailing thought out there within Christianity that I can have Jesus and I don't really need the church. I don't really need the local church. I can do my own thing over here. I can follow Jesus. I can be a good Christian, and I can be not a part of a church at all, or, you know, marginally connected. I'll pop in and out when I want to, and when it's convenient, and, and maybe I'll attend, and but I'm not going to serve, and I'm not going to give, and I'm not going to invite, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to participate. I'll be there a little bit, sometimes, maybe. Like, there's this thought out there that we can be a Christ follower separated from the church. That's not at all the picture that the New Testament gives us. That's not at all the picture of the church. Okay, let me read Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 for us. It says this, And he himself, that's Jesus, all right, that's Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers, meaning he calls people, certain people, to certain positions within the church for what purpose? Verse 12, to equip the saints, that's us believers, for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, that's the church, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. 
Then we will no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us, again, that's plural, let all of us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, the whole church, us right here, this church, from him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body, the growth of the church, for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So yes, we are individually called to live for Jesus. Yes, individually we are called to live a life of obedience. But that is not to be separated from the communal aspect of our salvation, the communal aspect of our discipleship. We need the church. We need each other. You are not meant to, and you cannot do this life alone. Are we perfect? No. Is this church perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. I want to make that one clear. No, absolutely not. None of us are perfect. That's not the point. The point is God has given us this body of his to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to help each other out, to hold each other accountable, to spur one another on towards love and good works. This is why we have the church. We need each other. We cannot separate our discipleship, our obedience to Jesus from the church. Being connected to a local body of believers is a vital aspect of our discipleship. So let me just say this before I move on, and I know we're going to go long because of this, but I think it's important. If the Lord has brought you here to this church, and this is your church, and you feel called to be here, plug in, jump in with two feet, and, and be connected. Get involved, because again, it matters for your discipleship. If this is not the church for you, if you're like, man, I don't like that guy. I don't know what he's talking about every week. Can't stand him. Don't like his face. Can't look at him. All right? Whatever it is, if this is not the church for you, my prayer and my hope and would make me so happy is that you find a place that you can call home. Be connected somewhere. If that's here, praise God. If that's somewhere else, I'll praise God too. Not because I want to see you go. Look, we need all the people we can get here. All right? Let's just be real. We, are, we are, should not be in the business of kicking anybody out, right? We need everybody. But look, what matters is you find somewhere. Get connected somewhere. All right, let me, let me move on here. So we're, we're called to live a life of continuous grace-driven obedience to Jesus. We are called to work out our own salvation. All right, number two here, how we are to live for Jesus, what this verse, this passage teaches us about living for Christ. Number two, the way we do that, how we do that is by relying on God's work. Relying on God's work. Look, here, again, here's the beautiful reminder of our obedience, our, our, this life that God has called us to, right? Not only are, do we not do it alone within the church, but we don't do it alone as individuals. This message, this, this passage reminds us that we do not do this alone and in our own strength. Let's look at verse 13. This is, I love this verse. It's awesome. Verse 13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. That's a beautiful verse, y'all. That's a beautiful reminder that God is always with us. All right, so it starts out, uh, verse 13, 4. And that could also be translated, because. What that word tells us is Paul is about to give us the means by which that life of obedience that he's called us to happens. So he said, hey, work out your own salvation, live a life of continual, ongoing obedience, and here's how that happens. We do this because it is God that is at work in you. It is God 
working in you. He's working in you. And look, that, that's a similar word, that, that working in you, that's a similar word that Paul uses when he says to work out our salvation. It's a word that also means to bring something about, to, to cause something, uh, to bring it into to effect, to, to actively work something out. And it's also in the present tense, which means it is also continual, ongoing, never-ending, never-stopping. So every moment of every day, we are to live a life of continual obedience. And every moment of every day, God is working in us to make that happen. He's working in us to bring that about. So we're able to live this life of constant obedience because it is God's power working in us. He's the one that gives us the ability and the power to do this. We see this all over Scripture, even in Philippians 1, 6, verse 6. We read this several weeks ago when we started this out, like months ago when we started. I don't know, you guys don't even remember, but Philippians 1, verse 6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What God starts, our salvation, what he starts, he finishes. He brings it to completion. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. God is transforming us. So that doesn't say, hey, transform yourselves. No, you're, you're to be transformed. That's passive. That's somebody doing that to you. That's Jesus working in your life. That is God's power at work in you to transform you. So how does God do that? What does it mean that God is at always at work within us? Well, verse 13 tells us. He says that, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work. To will and to work. If you underline things in your Bible, underline those, those, those words. To will and to work. That, that phrase, to will, that, that word for will means our, our desires, our, our wishes, our wants. That's what Paul's talking about here. So that means for us is that God works in our lives to change our will, to change our heart, to change our desires, to change the things that we want and what we wish for. That's what that means. And what does he change them from? Like, he, he changes them from sinful desires to godly desires, right? When we talk about who we are before Christ, we talk about this a lot, that we are corrupted by sin. We are sinners by nature and by choice, which means our ourselves, our will, our desires is bent towards sin. We will, given the choice between God and sin, apart from Jesus, we will always choose sin every single day and twice on Sunday, right? Like, we, that, that's who we are. Before Jesus saves us, that's our will, that's our desires. We are bent towards sin. But when Jesus saves us, he starts this work of, of changing those desires. No longer do we desire sin, now we desire Jesus. No longer we have these sinful, selfish desires, now, now we have these godly and righteous desires. And we, we, not, we don't want to live for our sin anymore, we want to live for Jesus. Now again, is that, is that perfect every day? No. But that's the sanctification process. That's the lifelong process where God is working in our hearts to change our desires. This is how Ephesians 4 puts it. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says that we are to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. So we're to put off our old self, right? Just like Colossians 3 tells us, 
and we're to put on the new self, and part of doing that is to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to have our spirit, our will, our hearts, our desires renewed. And again, that's passive. That's not us doing the renewing. That is Jesus renewing our hearts, renewing our will, renewing our desires and our wants. That's the first way that he works in us is he changes our desires, right? No longer do we want sin. We want Jesus. And then he says to will and to work. And it's the same exact word that he says when God is working in you. It's the same exact word here. And it points to God bringing about his desired result, which is obedience, which is being more like Jesus. So not only does he give us new desires, he actually makes those desires fruitful. He makes them happen. He brings about his desired result, his desired outcome. He provides the life that he's called us to live. And look, part of, part of following Jesus, part of living for Jesus, honestly, is sometimes we're just, we're just yielding to the Spirit's work in our lives. It's just us more and more going, Yep, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rely on you. I'm going to lean on you all the more. I mean, we've all had those moments in life where we're just like, man, I'm not, I don't know how I'm getting through this day. I don't know how I'm getting through this situation except for the grace and the power of Jesus, right? Like, think about those moments. We had one of those moments this week. You can see my wife back there. We've got a, a baby stroller, and we don't have, we didn't, you know, she wasn't pregnant a week ago. But uh, we are foster parents through a, a organization nearby in Walton County. And we got a call on Thursday of a, of a newborn that needed a, a home. And, and uh, we said yes. So we have a newborn in our home. You can be praying for, for him and his family. Um, and the thing about that is on Thursday morning, I woke up with a stomach bug. So I was in bed all day on Thursday. My wife just, you know, trusted the Lord's leading and got the call. And I was like out like a light. I was sleeping away trying to get through this thing. And she said, yes, I wake up to find out like 30 minutes later a baby is going to be in our house and I'm, and she's like, you got to stay quarantined. So here's my wife, not sleeping, caring for now four children in our house and I'm in, stuck in our room quarantining and can't do anything. Like the only, I saw my wife the other day, I'm like, how are you doing this? She's like, by the grace of God, right? Like we have these moments in our lives where we look at it and we're like, I don't know how I'm doing this. And we realize, oh wait, I'm not doing this. It's God doing this. Like, we need more of that in our lives. That's what it means to, to let God work in our lives is to to yield more to him, to rely more on him. This is how Paul puts it in Colossians 1, verse 29. He says, I labor for this. That, that's his ministry, the life that God's called him to. I labor, I put forth effort, I strive for it, striving with, with his strength, his strength that works powerfully in me. So, so Paul is putting forth effort. He's seeking to live for Jesus. He's walking in obedience. And how is he doing it? Not through his strength, not through his power, but Jesus' power. That's the Christian life. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that we live is, is a life of faith, which means it's a, it's a life of reliance upon Jesus, of saying, man, I can't do this. I need you. And I'm trusting in you. I'm relying on you and your strength and your power and your spirit to lead me, to guide me, to help me know what to do, what not to do, what to say yes to, what to say no to. All of those things. We rely on the power and the strength of Jesus through faith in him. That's the life we're called to live. 
that's the life that Jesus invites us to. And look, we need both of these. We need God to change our will, and we need him to change our work. We need him to change our will and our desires so that we don't obey begrudgingly, right? Just like with my kids, I don't want them to, oh, dad, fine, I'll do it. Like, I don't want them to stomp off to their room when I ask them to do something, right? Like, I want them to joyfully do that, right? Like, to be happy about the life that we're leading them to live. Like, that's what Jesus does. When he changes our heart and our will and our desires, that's what he's doing so that we don't obey begrudgingly and resistingly. And we also need him to change our work and our efforts so that they are fruitful, so that they bring about God's desired and intended result, which is to be more like Jesus. We need both of these. So God is working in us. He calls us and invites us to live this life of continual obedience, but he doesn't leave us on our own. He gives us one another in the church, and he gives us his strength, and his power, and his constant presence in our lives, always working in us, always working to change our heart, and our will, and our desires, and working to make our efforts of seeking to live for him fruitful, and bringing about his intended result. And I I love how he ends it, and we'll, we'll end it here in verse 13. He ends it with this. It says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And this is, again, just a beautiful reminder that all of this, all of this happens as a result of God's good purpose. He leads us to this life. He calls us to obedience. He calls us to faithfulness. He works to change our hearts and our will and our desires and our actions and the way we live because it pleases him, y'all. Because it brings him joy. Because he loves to do it. He loves to do it. And anything that is good for God is good for us because God is holy and completely good, which means it's not just good for him, it's good for all of his people. So whatever's good for God is awesome for us. So when he's working at, at things for his good pleasure, it, it's actually our benefit. It's for our good. It's never just for him. It spills into our hearts and lives. And it's also a reminder that God always delivers on his promise. God always completes his purpose. If he sets out to do something, God will do it. He will do it. So when he says he's going to bring us to glorification, when he says he's going to bring us to eternity and perfection with him, that is a promise, that is a guarantee that we can hold tightly to. When, as Philippians 1, 6 says that he will complete the work that he started, that's a promise that we can hold tightly to. It is according to his good purpose that he changes us and makes us more like Jesus, and he will complete that work. I'll end with this quote. I love how Charles Spurgeon comments on this part of the passage. He says, that which he works in you is pleasing in his sight. Note the words, according to his good pleasure. It gives God pleasure to see you holy. It is his delight to see you self-denying. If you conquer yourself, it will give him pleasure. Depend upon it then, since he is pleased with the result and has put forth his own strong hand to bring it about. You, as you work, will not work at a pert adventure, that's Old English for uncertainty or by chance. You will not work with any uncertainty, but in absolute certainty of success. 
Oh, brethren, brethren and sisters, my heart glows with the hope of being altogether rid of the power of sin. Oh, what a day that shall be when neither sin nor Satan shall vex the pleasures of our purified spirits. What a bliss it will be to see God face to face because the ungodlike and unheavenly has been altogether cast out of us. A long-expected day begin. The best heaven I could wish would be perfectly to be rid of myself, perfectly to be free from tendencies to evil. Is not this the heaven you are panting after? If it is, you shall have it. If you have grace enough to pine after it, grace enough to labor for it, you shall yet have grace enough to win it. So church, let us work out our own salvation because God has given us his grace, his power, a new life, and a new heart to follow him. Let us work out our own salvation because we know what God starts, he will complete. Let us work out our own salvation here in this life because we know it is practice for a perfect eternity spent with our Savior. That's the call for us as believers today. Let us live that life. Let us work out our own salvation and, and yield and rely on God's power. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you never put your faith in Jesus, your, your call is not to work. Not yet. Your call, your invitation is to yield. It's to put your trust, your faith in Jesus. He is the only one who can save. He's the only one who can forgive. He's the only one who can give you true freedom, true satisfaction, true joy, not just in this life, but in the life to come. We can't save ourselves. We can't rely on our good works. We can't rely on our own strength, and we're not meant to. We are meant to look to Jesus. Put your faith in him today. If that's you, if you're here, you've never done that, I'll be hanging out in the back during this next part of our service. I'd love to talk with you, answer any questions you may have, pray with you, and, and I, I would call you just like Jesus would, put your faith in him today. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and, and we're going to do what we do every single week, church. We're going to enter into a time of communion and worship, and this is a time for the believers in the room. This is a time for us to, to spend a moment in prayer, in worship to Jesus, in, in reflection upon what the word has told us today. Maybe, maybe Jesus is leading you towards repentance, right? Like maybe he's, he's calling you back to him, like, hey, you've been going down that way. It's time to say no to that and come back to me. Maybe it's just been a reminder again of the grace and the mercy that he just overwhelmingly bestows upon us, right? And we just need to sit for a moment and just be in, in awe and just sit in some fear and trembling for a moment and praise our God and Savior. The church, wherever you're at, I just encourage you, take time, take as long as you need, prepare your hearts, and as you're ready, we go to the tables, we take the bread, we take the cup, we eat, and we drink as a remembrance and a celebration of who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, always for your grace in our lives, for your salvation that you freely give us. Lord, you gave your life for us so that we could live for you so that we could have true, ultimate, and eternal life, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us, for all that you are, Lord. Would you use this to, to call us and invite us and daily remind us to live for 
you to give our lives in full obedience to you, Jesus. Help us rely on your strength and your power, not living for ourselves or for our own strength, but living for you, Lord. We thank you that you are at work, that you are always at work, and that you make good on your promises, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We lift high your name today. In your name we pray. Amen.